Hear the word of the Lord. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that Christ is the son of David? David himself and the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. You may be seated. Pray with me. Merciful, gracious Father in heaven, we give you thanks for your word that you give us that is alive, that is active, and has the power to transform the world. We pray that you would do this work in our own hearts, in our own lives this morning, in our own community, that your spirit would work to convict, to encourage, to exhort, and to remind us of who we are in you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, if you uh, manage to get lucky and visit Mount Rainier on a, on a clear day, there's you know, one lake at the, at the base of the mountain that's called Reflection Lake, and it's kind of self-evident why it's called that because there's a giant reflection of Mount Rainier in it. And if you're there on a really clear day and the water is really still, uh, the reflection looks very real. Uh, I've actually seen black and white photos of it and maybe they doctored it up, but you know, for the sake of this illustration, let's pretend they didn't. Uh, I've seen black and white photos of that where you, 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 know, you could almost not tell which one was reflection, which half was the real thing. Uh, you know, in, in a sense, the, a reflection is a real thing, right? It is a reflection of something that's real, but it doesn't tell you the full nature of that thing. And, you know, one of the things that Jesus is showing us this morning in this short uh, few verses is that sometimes you can get so focused on the reflection of the thing that you can lose the thing itself. You know, uh, just to recap where we're at in the story here is that the events I, I just read this morning are likely happening on Thursday morning. Uh, the, the Thursday before Jesus is crucified on, on Friday, this is the last week of Jesus' life. He's just been challenged uh, scene after scene by the leaders of the, of the Jewish people. Um, and uh, he, he just had his, his, this is his last argument that he ends up having with these leaders. The, the one difference of this argument versus the ones that have come before is this time Jesus is the one actually initiating uh, the, the conversation. He's actually going kind of on the offensive here. And he's in front of this great crowd and he's showing them, you know, you don't fully understand what this expectation of the Messiah is. Right? They have this partial view of the Messiah, an aspect that is true, but they're not seeing him fully. What we find, what they're missing is, is his divine nature. And because they are missing the divine nature and what that actually means for the Messiah... They're missing the Messiah altogether. And this is a, obviously a massive problem for them. It's a, and I would say it's a problem for us, too, uh, that we can, we can miss uh, him. And, uh, and when we miss the full nature of the Messiah, the, the big problem with that is we, we underestimate the Messiah himself. And we underestimate the kingdom that he is bringing. We reduce him to just me and my personal life. And we don't see that he's come not just to redeem you and your life, but he's actually come to redeem all creation. And so we underestimate the power of the Messiah to actually change anything in the world. And we don't even expect him to change anything. 
Because just a man can't change that much. Uh, from the, our family's lives and to the messes in, in the church global, obviously not our church, uh, to our worldly culture that's kind of devouring itself, to the political divides, we're not actually sure if Jesus can actually do anything about that right now. We assume maybe one day in the future, but now he seems kind of powerless to actually affect the world. And, and this is what we struggle to believe uh, because we, we struggle to believe that he actually is the divine sovereign one over all things. Uh, we're not so sure that Jesus can do anything about that. And so in these short three verses this morning, Jesus is going to tell us who he is and what this means for us. And I think we're going to see this in three, three ways. First, we're going to see expectations of the Messiah, the reality of the Messiah, and the responses to the Messiah. So first, the expectations of the Messiah. Look back with me here at verse 35. It says this, And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that Christ is the son of David? Well, just in this one verse, there's so much subtext that's happening. Remember, in the Gospel of Mark, he gives us very few details. He's a detailed light writer. And so when he does give us specific details, every detail means something. And, and here, notice where Jesus is. Not by accident, he's pointing us out. Jesus is in the temple. And since Jesus has come into the city on Palm Sunday, he has kind of set up shop in the temple teaching. In the temple, why is this so important? Well, because of what the temple is. The, the temple is Yahweh's palace. And the thing that was really bothering the scribes, the Pharisees, the chief priests, was that Jesus was making a commotion in the temple. He was acting like he owned the place. This is much of the, the confusion was around Jesus and his authority. Who are you to, to say and do these things, Jesus? This is not what they expected to see from a Messiah. Where they thought the long-awaited Messiah the, the anointed one to save the people of Israel would come from the throne of David, not the throne of Yahweh. They thought he would come from David's lineage, that he would share the blood of David. They expected a very human savior. Right? They expected a, a flesh and blood savior. They expected a, a political savior to sit on the throne and, and kick out the Romans. That's what they thought was going to happen. And, you know, and their expectations aren't you know, 100% wrong. Jesus actually is the son of David. He comes from the bloodline of David. He has been called the, the son of David several times by different people following him. And Jesus uh, encourages it. And he also has political aspirations, believe it or not. He has come to establish his kingdom. And it is political, meaning it has order to it. But it's actually very different than what they had in mind. Because his kingdom is not coming just to take back Jerusalem from the Romans. That's too small. His kingdom is coming to take back all creation from the serpent. And we can easily, you know, look at the scribes here and kind of be sympathetic towards them in this. Well, at least they got part of it right, you know, like they weren't completely wrong. It, it, I mean, it isn't like they thought poorly of the Messiah, that they, although they didn't think that Jesus was him, right, because they murdered him. But it's besides the point at the moment, you know, they thought very highly of who this coming Messiah would be, that he would be the greatest king to come in the line of David to return them to the golden years like they had in, in, under David. But the problem is that they ended up reducing him to his humanity. And when you reduce him to his humanity, you, you limit the effectiveness of his kingdom because humans have limits, right? Humans are limited. And the problem of underestimating our expectations of the kingdom, the problem of lowering the kingdom to our humanity is that we end up building actually alternative kingdoms, masquerading kingdoms that, that don't last at all. We end up 
You know, as Jesus talked about the scribes earlier, being close to the kingdom, but not actually in it. And this is what was happening to these religious leaders. They were building kingdoms that had true things in them, but they missed the bigger picture. And when you miss the bigger picture, Jesus is telling us, you actually miss the Messiah himself. And I think we do this with Jesus too. We, we lower him to our expectations of him. Where we take his humanity and we forget his divinity. We forget that he's actually sovereign over all creation. And, and, and we say that he is, right? No one here is going to deny that Jesus is sovereign, likely. Um, and, and, you know, but, we're called, but we're called out in how we doubt his kingdom to actually come on earth as it is in heaven. Right? We doubt that he's coming to build what Isaiah 9 describes. Listen to this from Isaiah 9. It says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. It's a pretty powerful statement. And Jesus, Jesus is that son who was born. His government actually is increasing. This isn't just a future idea, but it says from this day forevermore. This is happening now that God is establishing his kingdom through his church. His kingdom actually is coming. It's growing. It's in Increasing, establishing, and, and it's and upholding. It, is this what you expect God to do through Christ, through his church? Is this, is this what you think that God is actually doing right now? Is this the expectation that you have for, for Messiah and his kingdom? Do you expect him to actually establish these things that he tells us he's going to establish? Do you, do you expect that he's going to come and heal the nations, to turn all the nations toward him like what is actually happening all over the world? Do you think that the gospel actually has the power to do this or not? And this is where it's challenging to us, because of course we, we believe in the power of the gospel, but we struggle to actually believe it, because we can't actually see it all the time, can we? Because our experiences uh, in the world prove that, well, maybe it's not actually working. What do we do with this? But because Jesus expects that it will happen, that his kingdom will grow on earth, that all nations will come to him and submit to his kingdom, this work has begun with Jesus, and because the Lord is building it, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the work that God can do because he's sovereign over all creation. This is the trajectory that we're heading in. We tend to think of this image as just the end of the story image, right? This is that one day future thing, but Jesus actually has come. He is the light that has dawned, and he has taken us there now, and he calls us to pray for it in the Lord's prayer, and he's enacting this through the church. And this is what Jesus is pushing us towards here as he reframes who the Messiah is and what he has come to do. And we see this next in the reality of the Messiah. The reality of the Messiah. Look with me back here at verse 36. It says this, David himself and the Holy Spirit declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? So what is Jesus talking about here? Well, again, in just one verse, there's so much subtext happening. Jesus is showing the, the people that the scribes' expectations of the Messiah are lacking. And who does he use to prove the point? Uh, none other than great King David, the greatest of the kings. Because what Jesus is quoting from here is Psalm 110. 
Psalm 110 is actually the most quoted Old Testament passage uh, in the New Testament. It's a psalm written by David, but not just by David, it says here, because it says that in the Holy Spirit, he wrote these things. It's by the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, this is divinely inspired, which kind of gives us this subtle glimpse of how Jesus actually views Scripture. It's not just the product of man, but it's actually the product of the Holy Spirit. But in this psalm, David writes, right, the Lord says to my Lord. So in what is front of you, in front of you here is a, is a play on words. The, the first Lord here is, is Yahweh, right? It's the capital letters, Lord. Uh, and you know, Yahweh is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? The one who revealed himself at the burning bush was said, I am who I am, which translates for us Yahweh. Yahweh is saying something to David's Lord. And that second Lord there is Adonai. Well, what does this mean? Well, in, in, in most cases that this is used in the Old Testament, Adonai is like a supreme title for Yahweh. It means the one who is absolutely sovereign. So who is the Adonai that David is writing about? Who is David's Lord? Who is the sovereign king over Israel? Well, Jesus is interpreting this for us. And he says, David is talking about the Messiah. Right? And this is the conundrum that Jesus puts before them. How could David's son be his Adonai, be his Lord, be his sovereign? And for Jewish people at the time, they thought you know, a, son, um, a son, for a son to be greater than a father would have been a strange idea. And so what is Jesus saying here? What Jesus is saying is that just uh, is, is, to, is to have a good right view of the Messiah as, as a son and, and to just view him as the son is to miss him and his mission because he isn't just the son. He is the Lord. Great David's greater son is his Lord. He is the king over all kings. And, you know, he's not just over the Lord over David, but he's actually the Lord over all nations. God is the sovereign ruler of all. And Jesus sits at the right hand of the father ruling. And this is why Jesus came to teach in the temple. Or he comes as the anointed of, of Yahweh, as Yahweh incarnate to his father's house. And this battle between Jesus and the Jewish leaders over the chapter is really a battle of, of, of Jesus' kingship. And in resisting and rejecting Jesus, the, the Jewish leaders are actually resisting and rejecting the one who has been set up as a judge and ruler over them. They're actually rejecting David's Lord. And instead of submitting themselves right, to the rule of Jesus, the Messiah, they put him on trial. Instead of repenting and of, of building false kingdoms, they double down on their efforts and they plot to kill Jesus. But the reality of the Messiah for us is that he is sovereign over all things. And what do kings do? Well, kings establish kingdoms. Right? And Isaiah 60 tells us that this king, kingdom is a kingdom of light. Arise, shine, for the light has come. Right? John 1 tells us that the light has come. The light of life is Jesus. Right? He has come to establish his kingdom, to subdue his enemies, right? to, to slay the dragon that is Satan and destroy all the works of, of, of evil and, and put the nations under his feet. Psalm 110 for us here is prophetic. David is saying by the Holy Spirit that when the Messiah has finished his labor in this world, that he will be exalted to heaven and enthroned at the right hand of God and his enemies will be his footstool and his reign will begin to cover the earth. And until the day he returns and heaven and earth are one and there's no distinction. The kingdom that Jesus is coming to establish is an eternal kingdom where David's son and Lord rule and reign forever. 
This is the kingdom that Jesus came to establish. This is the kingdom that Jesus tells us is growing like a mustard seed and will one day cover the earth. And this is the kingdom that Jesus has invited us into. And not just to be in it, but to take up the mantle of the new Adam, Jesus, and help cultivate this kingdom, not by our power and might, but by the power of the king and spirit who animates us as we sow seeds of his kingdom. So what do we do with this? Well, this is at the end, we see uh, the response to the Messiah. The response to the Messiah here at the end, here, end of verse 37. This has all been Jesus talking, and we get this one line, and the great throne heard him gladly. I think this verse actually gives us a good image for what we ought to do. We ought to hear him gladly, with joy in our hearts, trusting him. Right? There was this great crowd gathered, and they, they heard his wisdom. They heard him with joy in their hearts. Jesus has just put before his people a glorious vision of what to expect, one greater than great David, one who has more power than just a human king, one who is sovereign over all things, one who sits, sets his sights not just on the throne of Jerusalem, but on the throne of the cosmos. There is not a place in the created world where his light won't shine. This is a profound vision here. And their hearts are glad because this is a beautiful vision. It's one, even if you struggle to believe, you want it to be true. Because it's profoundly hopeful. It's a hopeful word, especially to these people who are people who have had lowered expectations of the Messiah, right? They've been under the thumb of, of Rome. They've tried to actually overthrow Rome just a generation before, but failed. So people who've maybe lost hope and hope. The people who have spent 400 years without hearing from a prophet, Waiting in silence. Jesus' words for them are a balm. And the response is joy, belief. Who wouldn't want to be a part of what Jesus is proclaiming here? And then in this, the question is, is turned to us. You know, when Mark records the, the crowd's response, the implications that he's turning to you and I and saying, well, how will you respond to this great news? Will you believe that Jesus is sovereign over all things? Do you believe that Jesus is who he said he was, that he is the great sovereign, that this isn't just a fairy tale? Or are you stuck being cynical of this kingdom? You know, we're programmed to trust our own experiences over anything, but Jesus is sovereign over your experiences too and tells you a deeper truth. More real than our pains, more real than violence that's all over, more real than death that saturates our lives. More real than the deepest dark, darkness you can ever imagine. Do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus has come to establish his kingdom, is actively established, and even though you don't always see it? Because the truth is, to be subjects of a king means that we, by nature, can't actually see everything. We're limited. Do we believe in this Jesus? I think we're, we're much like the Jewish people at the time of Jesus, that we have lowered expectations of what Jesus is doing in his work and, and we're taught to just kind of hunker down and try to escape and survive it all. But friends, this is not the Christianity of Scripture. The Christianity of Scripture is fearless, even in the face of death. Uh, the gospel works. We're called to believe it, to take heart, to have hope that it, it works so well that even when you are mired in despair, the light breaks through. We're called to receive this 
truth with joy. Your suffering is not your end, just like Jesus' death was not his end, but resurrection and ascension is his end where he is now ruling from heaven, preparing the earth for the appointed time when he will vanquish our foe once and for all and we will live and experience the glory of his kingdom without interruption until the end of time. Speaking on this truth, uh, one theologian, Peter Lightheart, says this. Says, you know, for the, he points out that for the past two years, we've seen a lot of pain, right? There's been a continuous flow of bad news. Even just two weeks ago, I preached about resurrection hope from, this, from uh, just the passage before. And it was just later that week that there was the, the school shooting in, in Texas. There's an unending flow of bad news. It seems like the world is teetering on the edge of despair Christians, you know, we're no better. We, we kind of nurture a shrunken hope. Many expect nothing better than to escape from this world or have just have bliss in the next. But the God of hope, the God of scripture is not so timid with this. Jesus is the heir of all things and he will have his inheritance to share with us, his bride. The nations will become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ. And it is this audacious hope, the audacity of hope that fuels our theology, our evangelism, our ministry, our worship, our mission, our families, our daily living. Every part of our life is fueled by this audacious hope that isn't found in Scripture. And as we are called to receive this audacity of hope and joy, we can't help but live as lights in darkness, promoting the ethics of the kingdom, sowing its seed with our daily living, trusting Jesus to finish what he started. And it's reliant not upon us and our zeal, but on the zeal of the Lord, His, whose work does not return void. This is the Messiah you follow if you follow Christ. He's not merely the son of David. He is not merely a man, but he is God himself in the flesh. He is David's Lord, the one who anointed David to be king. The one we follow is the great king over all things, and we're called to receive him with joy, to submit ourselves to his rule in our lives, trusting his work in our lives and in this world. Because Jesus is the sovereign one over all creation, we can dare to have an audacious hope, even in the face of profound darkness. May we as a church be a people who trust this, who trust God's word, which we read in the Psalms at the beginning of the service are full of power, right? May we trust that word of power. May we have hope, hope for the power of the gospel to transform the world. And as we live out of this hope, may we be a light in the darkness. And may God bring this to completion in our day that our eyes uh, may see the glory of the Lord on this earth. Pray with me. Father of all mercy, of all grace, Father of hope, I pray that you be with each one of us where we struggle to believe that your power is effective, where we are stuck in sin, where we're stuck in despair, I pray that you would help us to believe that your word is more powerful than our feelings of despair. And praise be to God for this great truth. Encourage our hearts, bind us together by the power of your spirit, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.